0: Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks, and welcome back to my favorite time of the week. And as part of the Inspiring Leadership series, I am delighted to have my dear friend, Matt Oppenheimer, the CEO of Remitly. Matt is over in Seattle. Is that right, Matt? Is that where you are at the moment? That's right, Jonathan. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. No, It's great to have you on the series. And the reason why, uh, Matt, I invited you is because uh, when people uh, talk of inspiring leaders, they... You know, others recommend them; they don't recommend themselves. So I have had people say, "I want to be on your show." Yeah. <laughs> Who recommends you? And a lot of people have spoken very highly about you as an inspiring leader. And I've thoroughly enjoyed the interactions we've had over the years. And I find I learn a huge amount from you every time we chat. So Matt, tell tell us all about sort of your role as CEO and the firm that you've set up, Remitly. Tell us a bit about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, co-founder and CEO of Remitly, which I started about nine years ago, um, after traveling to close to 100 countries and then living in Nairobi, Kenya, and I saw there how difficult it was to send money internationally um, and really – how expensive, how inconvenient it was, especially for people sending money back to developing countries. And so uh, just to fast forward nine years later, uh, Remitly uh, is the largest independent digital uh, remittance company in the United States. Um, our ambitions are actually much bolder and, and broader than that. It's really over the long term to transform the lives of immigrants and their families by providing the most trusted financial services on the planet. So we just launched our second financial services line which is called Passbook, which is a bank specifically designed for immigrants, which we're super excited about. Uh, we have over 1,000 people on the uh, team worldwide. We've raised around $300 million in equity, and um, we send uh, over $6 billion a year. Um, so we've reached some good scale and size, but it's $6 billion of $600 billion in remittances that are sent every year, it's 1% of that market, and obviously we're just getting started when it comes to a broader set of financial services.
0: Wow, that's really impressive. And who sort of backed you in those early days when you were trying to get going? Because it must have been tough in those early days.
1: Yeah, we've been really lucky with a lot of the backers we've had. Everybody from um, Jeff Bezos to uh, um, uh, a lot of really great Seattle-based angel investors. And then since then, we've raised from some top-tier Bay Area uh, VCs, DFJ, which is now Threshold Ventures. Raised some great growth equity firm called Stripes uh, based out of New York that focuses on consumer. Uh, we've raised from uh, Generation most recently who uh, is uh, really focused on sustainability and sustainable investments. Um, and so we've been really lucky to surround ourselves with really amazing investors over the years.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I must say, whenever I am with other tech entrepreneurs and people, uh, I'm lucky to be an advisor on a couple of tech company boards, um, sort of advisory panel from the leadership point of view. I don't want to get involved in uh, being a nerd. But, but I say, look, go and watch Matt Oppenheimer's video about why, you know, you, you've got to, I, I do congratulate, you got a very clear with your video about the experience you just shared about Kenya and realizing that it was a real need and that you filled a need. I, I think that's brilliantly done. And, and then on to who inspired you, my sort of next area I'm always interested in, who would be a couple of people who inspired you and what were their qualities that, that you'd pick out that make them inspiring leaders?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's so many people that have inspired me over the years. One person that currently is a big inspiration to me and is obviously very well known is Satya Vidal, the CEO of Microsoft. And I had the pleasure of uh, interacting with him um, recently at a very small conference of, of, of um, and what I saw at that conference and what you see publicly is he leads from the heart. He's very authentic and, um, He has very much a growth mindset, and I've been amazed how he's taken an organization like Microsoft that I think had, um, in a lot of ways, become more fixed mindset as individuals and as a company and really inspired that organization to grow, learn, develop, and to see everything as more of an opportunity as opposed to a challenge. Um, And so he's a big inspiration for me right now. I just think he's a very phenomenal um, leader in person, and I've been really impressed with what he's done. Yeah, great. And who would be the second person that you'd choose as an inspiring leader, and, and
0: what were their qualities that you admire?
1: Yeah. The person that comes to mind, outside of family, which I, there's a lot of people in my family that, that, that deeply inspire me, but the other person that comes to mind is that's had a huge impact on my life over the years is a guy named Mark Solon, who uh, I met when I uh, job shattered him in high school, and then I interned with him in Boise, Idaho at the only venture capital firm in Boise, Idaho called uh, Highway 12 Ventures. And Mark later went on to become one of the key leaders at Techstars, which is an accelerated program that we did. But when I started Remitly, um, I was in Kenya. I remember being on my roof deck uh, debating, do I want to make this leap um, to start this business? And Mark had amazing advice around, you know, why not? What, you know, um you know, it was much more deep than just why not. But he really encouraged me. He's always encouraged me to take the road less traveled. So he, he gave me great advice to go to, to go to Kenya. And one of the things that I think is great about Mark is he's not afraid to take the road less traveled. He's not afraid to make a decision that is different than everybody else and go against the grain. And he's encouraged me to do that personally so many times in my life. And I'm exceptionally grateful for the impact that it's had on my life because I think it's a, uh, Key, key part of what has brought me to, to remotely into this business. That's fantastic. We may need to get him on the series. He sounds like a really
0: interesting guy. Yes. And, and then, uh, you know, from the people who inspired you to, I always find it very uh, authentic to hear leaders and CEOs, particularly, admit about the personal mistakes they made because those who say they've never made a mistake worry me deeply. But <laughs> what would be a, a story you'd say about a personal mistake you made? You learned from it, how it shaped you now as a leader?
1: Yeah. Well, I think I start with when I look at what's most important. um, The reason I do remitly every day, and I'm pretty intentional about that, is to make a positive impact on people's lives. Our customers, our team, and uh, our investors are kind of the three broad buckets of stakeholders I think about. And so when I think about mistakes, because I've made mistakes every day, I've made mistakes this morning. Um, but when I think about the m- mistakes that carry the most gravity, it ties back to how have I failed as a leader to make a positive Im- impact on people's lives. And one of the examples that comes to mind is it's very difficult in a growth company Um, to understand the kind of executive skills that are needed at different stages and sizes of the company. So, you know, when you're five people versus 50 versus 500, it's just a very different skill set. It's not better or worse. It's just different. And as a first time entrepreneur as a company rapidly growing, I would say that one of my failures uh, was not recognizing that one specific executive example that I'm thinking of just it was a different scale, and, and the skills weren't well-suited for the state we were at. And I remember having deep conversations with the board um, after a board meeting about that. And um, it, once I actually saw some examples, got to see that. Uh, it was clear to me, and we had to transition executives in that instance. But the reason it was a failure for me is because of the fact that I didn't see it coming, and so I couldn't proactively give that individual feedback uh, along the way to where it was more of a surprise, and I've made a commitment to myself to make sure I'm really uncovering any blind spots I have as a leader because it's my duty to really understand what's needed at, you know, a year ahead, two years ahead, because things can change rapidly, and with that understanding, provide really proactive coaching and feedback. Great. And so finally, um, just in the last minute, what would be your top tip for
0: leaders listening? What would what would you give as a tip?
1: Top tip that comes to mind is, so we're, we have cultural values as a company, which is how people interact and how people get things done. And the first one I think about leadership is leader, leadership applies to every individual in Remitly and I think every individual trying to accomplish anything in their career. It's not managing people. It doesn't need to be a level of seniority. And when you view leadership from that angle, I think that it ties back to one of our values as a company, which is lead authentically. And the definition for that value that we have is everyone's a leader. We're open, self-aware, and enthusiastically share knowledge and context to help others succeed. But at the heart of lead authentically, which is actually a value we added later in the company to make it explicit because we refresh our values every year. So this is a new one we just added about six months ago. My tip is be yourself. if you're trying to lead at any level at any function um people will see if you're trying to be someone you're not and so my singular advice it sounds cliche but don't try to be someone you're not be yourself lean into your strengths develop those strengths and know that those strengths as everybody has it sounds kind of cheesy but are beautiful and be yourself and shine in those strengths
0: perfect matt timing Immaculate as always. Thank you very much. You are a great inspiration to me and I'm sure to many others. But congratulations in the work you're doing. Thank you. Hey, Adam. Hi, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to Inspiring Leadership Extra with Matt Oppenheimer. Matt, great to have you back. And um, I really wanted to go a bit deeper now into your upbringing. Um you are a very inspiring leader, not according to you, uh, modestly, but actually to what everybody else has told me and what I experience. But but what what shaped you, for, you know in your early life and, and the family members? You've got some pretty awesome family members who are role models, such as Deanna, who I know, Deanna Oppenheimer. But um tell us a bit about your upbringing and who inspired you as you grew up. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. I
1: uh so I was born in Boise, Idaho, fifth generation Idahoan. Um, which was formative in the sense that my family has deep roots in Boise. Uh, They originally went out to Boise during the gold rush in the United States uh, to set up the local mercantile store. And so um, there's been entrepreneurship throughout several generations of my family. Um, My grandfather then started a business uh, called Oppenheimer Companies that my dad and uncle now run. Um, And so entrepreneurship, I I think, was always modeled to me at a young age via those um, individuals and just kind of history of my family. Um, My mom is an artist and art therapist. Uh, She went back and got a counseling degree later in life, uh, but I grew up going to art shows with her. And then her being a therapist, I think, uh, and just who she is very much – I think was formative in my ability to try to develop and learn about myself, which I think is crucial as a leader and have higher emotional intelligence. depends on your leadership style, but certainly mine has to be rooted in kind of how am I interacting? How am I showing up? And I I credit my mom to that. For sure, um, and then I have one brother who uh, is an elementary school teacher. He's six years older. We're exceptionally close. I've already chatted with him this morning, uh, and um, so I, you know, I grew up in Boise with all that context. Went to the public high school there, uh, and um, I think that my upbringing was one of privilege that I recognize. Uh, and I think that uh, while Boise is not. Um, Diverse from a uh, ethnicity perspective, it's it's very diverse from a socioeconomic perspective, and so I felt fortunate growing up in Boise, seeing how my privilege gave me a lot of benefit, um, and also seeing the impact that um, those without financial or other resources had growing up, and I think that was also formative in terms of who I am and what I do today as well. Yeah, no, and and you are.
0: An incredibly successful entrepreneur. I, I presume your business will ultimately one day become what they call a unicorn, won't it? Um, we hope. Uh, isn't What's the, the definition of a unicorn? Is it? It's got to be a billion dollar yeah billion dollar value. valuation.
1: Yeah, and we haven't talked about our valuation publicly, but we're right around there. So yeah, we built a lot of value, um, really, because obviously the customers that we serve. Yeah.
0: But how long ago did you start this 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 gem of an idea with your co-finder?
1: Yeah, it was nine years ago. Um, and so uh, if you fast forward the rest of my upbringing, I went to uh, Dartmouth College out of uh, Boise High, which was a, a really lucky, actually, that I got in there. Um, did investment consulting for a couple of years, did my MBA at Harvard, and then joined Barclays Bank in a general management program in the corporate and retail bank. And so lived in London for a bit, uh, one Churchill place, and then took the road less traveled, as I talked about in the first segment. Um, actually, Mark gave me advice to do this. Uh, who I talked about earlier, but when I was debating between jobs in London versus the far afield job in Nairobi, Kenya, I took the road less traveled, which uh, gave me the idea for Remitly back in 2011. So it's been uh, nine years now, of uh, really, really meaningful, amazing work. And obviously, it's all thanks to the team that I get to work with every day that we've accomplished what we have. Mm. And, and
0: uh, my wife and I um, support a charity out in Kenya, in fact, two charities, Team Kenya and Hope for teenage mothers because the young girls there, thirteen, they're having FGM and having babies at thirteen. It's it's grim stuff. Um, So yeah, Kenya, I've been to a number of times. And what was it in Kenya that stuck in your mind that really shaped you to to have this gem of an idea and and make a difference?
1: Yeah, well, there's a couple things that I'll say about Kenya. One is not directly answering your question, but then I'll get back to it. But there are things that shaped me as a human when I was living in Kenya. I think that um, you know. I was with the Barclays Bank, Kenya Consumer Banking Team. Um, there was one other expat from Pakistan, myself, and everybody else was Kenyan that I worked with, and the community I interacted with was all from Kenya. And I learned so much about life from my Kenyan colleagues. Um, I learned there's a lot of people in the U.S. that, that live to work. Um, in general, a lot of folks that I interact with there uh, work to live. Um, the amount that they connect with people, like I used to start meetings jumping right into you know, the business. And I've slowed down to try to get to know folks' families and backgrounds um, because I think in the Kenyan context, that's foundational. But quite frankly, it's also more important in life. And so anyway, I've learned a lot about that. But in terms of about life from when I lived in Kenya, but what I learned from the business standpoint was that for myself, it was hard to send money internationally. I was getting paid in British pounds. I was living in Kenyan shillings. I eventually had to get money back to US dollars. That was expensive. It was inconvenient. But what was more important was a lot of my Kenyan friends who were getting their basic living expenses from their relatives in Europe and uh, North America primarily. And that is a very different segment of remittances, but seeing how far that money went, seeing how Mpesa peso was transforming domestic financial services, really was the foundation for the idea of remitly because it seemed like there had to be a better way to do it and that now is the time.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. and. So we talked about you and your upbringing, uh, you as an entrepreneur. Um, you've been an inspiration to me, actually, with the, the whoop strap, and we've both got our whoop straps and our, and <laughs> our Apple watches. Um, we talked about sort of fitness and things like that. Um, you're, a, you're a super busy man. I mean, you know, starting a business nine years on, um, all that you've achieved, you're pretty go, go, go. What do you do to look after your health and fitness, your sleep, you know? You... you, you, you Tell me a bit about that and, and, and a way that, that could help people who are listening that they think, yeah, I might try that or don't do this. You know, what, what, what's, what's been your learning about health and fitness?
1: Yeah, well, I appreciate mentioning the two watches because I think you and I are the only ones who have those two watches and I get asked frequently. People are like, do you have two watches on your hands? And then I get to explain how I use this other watch that is called a Whoop that helps with uh, um, fitness tracking. So, yeah, you know um, – I think that in order to be a strong leader, yeah, I I have to take care of myself, um, from a mental and, and physical health standpoint. And so I just try to make time to make it work. And that sounds cliche, but my commute into the office is I jog in with my clothes in my backpack. Um, And uh, when I'm traveling, I was just in Dublin for 11 hours on the ground for one meeting. And uh, I I got a run in while I was there, not only to stay healthy, but to explore adventure is a key part of my personality and what brings me joy. And so the amount of travel, I get to see and explore a lot of places, which also helps with my mental health. Um, And, you know, it's hard. It's super hard, especially on the sleep front right now. Um, I have an 18 month old daughter, uh, work is intense. Um, she is sleeping more now than if we were having this conversation a year ago, but I think just prioritizing it and trying to take care of myself has been super important. And I have highs and lows on that journey, but it's always a priority. Yeah. I think, I think, um, fitness and what you eat and your sleep,
0: uh, and exercise and like standing desks, even that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. What else? Final couple of things that you'd give as a tip before we just take a short break on health and fitness. What what advice would you give to others?
1: Yeah. Um, Somebody asked me this morning, actually, uh, why do I run? Um, And I think that uh, this person was saying it was really hard for them to run, get out there, and why put myself through something that doesn't feel good? And I think that she brought me back to when I was a runner early days and how painful it was those first few runs. And I think that, um, I haven't always been a runner. I've been a runner a little bit, about about as long as I've been running remotely. I've always been an exercise enthusiast. i did other things. But I think that the thing it reminded me of is those first few times are hard. Like the first time I went to yoga, it was incredibly hard. Now yoga is a key part of my life, even though I was a runner. And for those folks that don't exercise at all, I think that just recognizing and being gentle with oneself that as, as new routines are started, it's hard. And I empathize with that. I go through that myself when I pull a new exercise routine. I should probably give my own the, myself my own advice I'm just about to start Pilates because I think it'll help with my back and it's going to be hard when I start going to that but I think that reminding myself that it is hard and being gentle is probably the advice I'd give other people as well I think so great advice so Matt you know you you
0: were you were honest enough that you've been lucky uh fortunate with your family and, and a quite a privileged upbringing but you, we've all had some tough times of our life what about a couple of times that have been tough for you a dark, dark parts of your life and what you've learned from that and how it's made you the inspiring leader you are today.
1: Yeah, I think that the example that comes to mind for that is when I went from Boise High School in Boise, Idaho to Dartmouth my freshman year. And there were a few things that happened during that time. One, um, there was just a big transition from being a big fish in a small pond to a small fish in a very big pond. Um, the second was I'd never been drawn to academics as much as one might think. Uh, and I missed a bunch of high school doing a bunch of extracurricular entrepreneurial activities. I started a nonprofit in high school. And Dartmouth was very rigorous academically. And I took like a week off to go do volunteer work in Kenya during my freshman year fall term. That was not a good decision. Um, additionally, one of my very good friends, uh, pass away from a skiing accident from high school, uh, Sorry. fall, uh, of freshman year. And, and I think am, am, amongst all of that, there was also a fair amount of insecurity I had just at that age going in and kind of really understanding who I am and what value I brought to the world. So all that just created a pretty tough time freshman year. I never doubted Dartmouth was the right place. I, um, I think that the, the looking back on that, I think the biggest thing that I learned, um, is, Really, to one, be gentle with with oneself. Um, I think I've always had high expectations for myself, and I think being gentle as I transitioned to being more academic and leaning into that was important. Uh, and I think the second is ties a little bit to that, but just having confidence um, that in oneself and that things will work out. Um, and there was uh, there, uh, we can talk later if it makes sense. But my father wrote a book about my grandmother um, where he interviewed her for a bunch of hours before she passed away. Um, in the years leading up to, she was so healthy at the time. And the title of that book is It Will All Work Out. And um, that's an important reminder, I think, for me. That was that was then, still is today, just reminding myself that it'll all work out. It's a, a good motto
0: and, and my wife also says that, Lee. She says, yeah, it'll work out. We'll work it out. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Because um, I think yeah. all of us as leaders have some dark times which affect our mental health and our, our self-confidence and I think it is important that, um, to know that we're not alone and that, that this too will pass as they say in um, um, I think it was King Solomon had a slave who was behind him when times were good the slave would say sire this too shall pass and when things mm-hmm. were bad he'd say sire this too shall pass um, and um, so thank you for that the, the next thing, uh, you and I have discussed teams and individuals, and you're, you're someone compared to many of the leaders I'm with who is constantly learning about how to be a better leader. You're reading widely. You're practicing it. You put into practice what you learn. You've had lots of coaches and mentors, advisors. You get people working with you on offsites and things like that. What are the things that you found out that doesn't work about trying to get a high-performing team, and what does work. You know, share, share some of your practical tips and experiences, and hey, you know, I did this, don't do this, or I tried this and it actually is pretty good. I mean, just talk to us a bit about high-performing teams.
1: Yeah, I think that it's certainly a journey on high-performing teams, but if there's one thing that's been crucial to Remittly's success, it is the fact that we have an amazing, amazing team. And I think that some things that come to mind when creating high-performing teams and I'm going to specifically talk about my exec team because that is the team that I directly manage um, that has a big impact on the rest of the company. I think the first is, although I think these these things apply to the um, company overall, I think the first is being clear about culture and defining culture. I think a lot of companies talk about culture and um, They're, you know, think of snacks in the kitchen, ping pong tables, cultures, how people interact, how people get things done, defining that culture, defining it early and making sure that it is actionable. And by actionable, if it doesn't roll off the tongue to say hey, uh, Jonathan, I really appreciate that you are an empathetic partner. I really appreciate that you're constructively direct. Um, but, you know, you might have an opportunity to develop around um, sweating the details. I'm making those up, obviously. But they roll off the timing, the ability to give feedback and, and engage in dialogue around them. When I see some values that are like ours used to be, like relationships, it's hard to say, hey, Jonathan, you're not very good at relationships. That's not a very actionable, specific thing. So, anyway, I, I get on a tangent, but defining culture is one. The second is you have to have the right people around the table, and just being honest if somebody's not fitting in with the culture and making that move is extremely important. Yep. Um, and uh, the third is um, to just invest in the team and team dynamics. And you mentioned we've worked with a lot of folks, and I'm very intentional about quarterly offsites. We have a relatively new executive team, at least we did a year ago, so we have, uh, we use a book called The Advantage, um, when we started to kind of storm, form, and norm the team, where we had daily stand-ups that encourage more interaction. Investing in that time and that team takes time, but I think it pays a lot of dividends because you cut out a lot of the politics and the churn that if there isn't the investment in the team, is not there. So we still have work to do every day. It's a journey, not a destination, but I'm really, really inspired and amazed by the team I get to work with.
0: Yeah. And- and if you'd be leaving us with a couple of tips, um, as a leader, as an individual, I don't know anything that you found practically, someone can go, hey, what Matt said, quite useful. I'll take away that and I'll go and practice it. Something practical, pragmatic, either as a team or as an individual. What would you share? A couple of a couple of tips.
1: Yeah. I think some of the things we've already talked about, but just to kind of bring them back into one, I think one is be yourself. Don't try to be someone you're not. Lean into your strengths. Be aware of your weaknesses. Try to surround yourself with people that uh, have strengths in those areas. My co-founder and I have very shared values, have an enormous amount of trust, but we are very different, and I think that's one of the beauty uh, both with both of my co-founders. We have both. Um, there's three of us. We're all very different. We complement each other very well. Um, so lead authentically is number one. Um, the second, uh, tip I would say is this thing that we've talked around, um, uh, going, keeping things in perspective, being an entrepreneur, but also in any job has highs and lows and everything in between. And so whether it's the phrase, it'll all work out or another phrase or, or way that gives you the ability to keep things in perspective, both in the highs. So it doesn't go to your head and the lows when you're thinking that it's a little hopeless, I think it's really important. So second piece of advice would be the reminder that it will all work out. Third piece of advice is take care of yourself and yeah. um, that is often um, overlooked and I think that there are some leaders that can lead in a very fear-based command and control style that I don't respect that I think can do that without taking care of themselves at least for a period of time. Yeah at least the leadership style that I subscribe to in terms of being more empathetic, um, understanding folks, leading, um, uh, in a bit more of a servant leadership style that has to come from understanding oneself and taking care of oneself. And so I think mental and physical health can't be underestimated in the ability for someone to lead. And so the third piece of advice I would say is take care of yourself because that's going to be the foundation for everything else that you do.
0: I think so. Cause you know, it is about leading by example, and people are learning you as the leader, the CEO, not what you say. And of course, you're in the energy business. You know, it's you're not just in financial services or tech. You're actually you've got to energise yourself to then transfer that energy to the people who are around your team, for them to be energetic and pass on to others and to customers and clients. And if, if you're lacking in energy and you're not looking up to yourself, it's very apparent and and you lose mm-hmm. credibility. You almost like don't have the right to be in the room because you get really mm-hmm. he's saying mm-hmm. one thing, but he or she are behaving a different way. We're looking at them, we don't respect them. And mm-hmm. then respect, not popularity, I think is the key.
1: Yeah. And I, the phrase that comes to mind when we're talking about this is remembering that people will remember how you made them feel, not what you said. And I think that not only in meetings and interactions, but when I'm walking around the halls as the company's grown, people remember how I make them feel and the feeling that I'm admitting um, versus what I've said. And I think that's an important reminder um, that I try to tell myself as well. And I think, again, that's not just true of CEOs, that's true of any leader in any company at whatever level. Um, people will not remember what you said, they'll remember how, how you made them feel. Brilliant. And that's a very good way to end.
0: Matt Oppenheimer, thank you very much indeed, sir. Good luck with Remitly as CEO. And we really appreciate you sharing your wisdom on the Inspiring Leadership Series. So thanks very much, Need Matt.
1: Thank you, Jonathan.
0: So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Perks, And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch, or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.